Hey, so welcome to the Belonging Factor podcast, where we are talking about all things that can help you figure out where you belong, the tribe you belong to, and how to create a sense of belonging for those that are entrusted in your care. And today, we have a very special guest. I'm sitting down with Darren Webster. Hi, Darren. How are you? I'm really good. Um, Darren Webster is uh, a leader who I've had the opportunity to work with. So brief history, we've known each other for about five years, and we uh, spent much of that time uh, working together directly uh, at a Fortune 15 organization in charge of delivering sales and experiences for both our employees and our customers to, uh, to help the business grow. Right? Sound fair? Yep. Cool. And, uh, and I had, and this might embarrass him a little, but I'm going to say it, and he's on camera, so this is how it works. <laughs> but um, I had a tremendous pleasure working for him. In fact, I remember sitting in an interview, and he asked me, Devin, why'd you, why are you moving from Hawaii to, to Pennsylvania, and why this job? And uh, one of the reasons I listed was pretty specific, and I said, honestly, it was to, to work for you and to have the opportunity to learn from you. Um, and that I saw as an important and meaningful step in my career. And we had a chance over the time because, well, you hired me, so thank you. <laughs> but we had, my a, pleasure. <laughs> we had a chance over time to get to explore what that really meant. And there was a lot of value for me because um, I learned from some of your personal experiences, some of your history, some of the things that helped shape you. Um, and those things helped shape me, which was fantastic. So thank you for having your life. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, and so, so that's kind of the brief history of, of Darren and, and us, how, how we've gotten here. Now, both of us have moved on into other ventures and avenues at this point and exciting turns in our lives. And so I thought this would be a great time to just sit down, talk a little bit about those things that have shaped you in your life, led to where you're at, helped you align your values. And, uh, and I came across an article you wrote very recently and it really reflected for me some of those things that that were important that i saw as value alignment that i wanted to learn from be part of and then grow with so why don't you share a little bit about yourself and then maybe we can talk about this article very cool so uh, so i've been in the united states for about 15 years as you can tell from my accent i'm not uh, i'm not from here originally uh, i was born in sydney australia and i moved to the us in about 2004 with my wife and my six-month-old daughter and so originally we moved because uh, i wanted to become a secret service agent that was my my career ambition and uh, I got a job at Verizon Wireless and um, decided that um, that was a great company with a lot of opportunity and it did have a lot of the shared alignment and values that, um, that, I, uh, that I wanted in a company that I was going to come to work every day for. So that was very important to me and, uh, and it's, been, um, it's been a wonderful experience. For the last 15 years I've had a variety of different roles in different parts of the country. So I've moved from Houston to Denver, Colorado, back to Houston to Pittsburgh, had a stint for almost a year in Basking Ridge. Uh, in New Jersey and then back to Pittsburgh. So um, it's taken my family and I not, not only across the globe, but around the US and has, I think, provided us some, um, some really wonderful experiences, uh, has helped me grow exponentially as a, as not just as a professional, but as a person. Mm. And, uh, and I think that, um, that along the way, as you referenced, you come across people and, and parts of the organization that, um, that really do align with 
who you are at your core. And that ultimately for me is the foundational element of selecting a company to go work for, an organization to be part of, or, uh, or an organization to lead. Yeah, very good. And, and, and my experience is that that reflects in your decision making uh, frequently. I mean, that, that's, that's my history. And so um, thinking about those things that shaped that belief system for you, I think this is where when I, th when I think about belonging and I think about this idea of find your tribe, create an environment that people want to be a part of, um, look for those things that can be uh, fulfilling and rewarding for you. What that, excuse me, what that really means most is how do you have a good assessment of your values inventory? Do you have a good alignment of those things that have shaped you that you've learned from that that makes sense for you to be able to judge the world off of, right? That's that's the part for me that seems to make the most sense with how you figure out where you belong. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and and it's and it evolves over time. Uh, you your values and and the things that are most important to you um, come from your upbringing originally. Uh, so your parents, your family members, uh, and your early friends. Uh, they're the ones that sort of kickstart things. But over time, as you become more experienced and you get to you get exposed to different yeah. Uh, elements of society or to business or to, to any organization you're part of, you start to then select and pick and choose the things that really stand out mm -hmm. to you. So, uh, so originally, and, and an example would be my career path. What I wanted to do was serve in, um, in, in the capacity of the Secret Service, but I found in Verizon an opportunity to serve in a different way. That, yeah. uh, that was a lot more meaningful and, and really hit home. And it's only through experiencing and experimenting with different areas that you, you really get that. So my background's been very diverse in uh, when I was a kid, I grew up on the beach and so we joined the Surf Lifesaving Movement, which is a volunteer organization that protects the beaches. Mm. And so there's a little bit of service there. Then, uh, then I, you know, playing sports and you know, do, doing all those sorts of things uh, when I was younger, then it instills in you a need and a desire for, for competition mm -hmm. and to, uh, to, to succeed and to achieve. That's part of you know, what I value. And, uh, and then ultimately, as I started to get, get um, older and, and hopefully wiser, uh, <laughs> it, uh, it then gives you an opportunity to really assess you know, people. And, um, and the types of people that you really want to be around. Yeah. Um, when you have your family is your family and, and you, you dealt that hand. But, uh, but when you get to select who you choose to associate with, um, over time you have to associate with some potentially pretty rotten people to understand, no, I don't want to associate with that anymore. And then, uh, and then you gravitate towards the people who are, who are good. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with you. And so one thing that you mentioned, and so you're not one to brag on yourself. I think you'll, you'll be honest and candid, but humble usually. But my understanding is that you are a world-class, literally, uh, competitive athlete. And that is something that uh, in your past helped shape some experiences and values that you've aligned with that have helped you kind of become the person you are and align with the things that you've aligned with at this point. So. Uh, and this was, I think, the genesis of your, your article. So maybe you can give us a little bit of background on this uh, world-class athlete story. Well, I, I'm not a world-class athlete anymore, any, uh, I have to say. But, um, but yeah, I was fortunate to, to be exposed to a variety of different sports when I was a kid. And uh, I have to thank my parents for that because they were the ones who had to shuttle me around the whole time. So, uh, so when, when, 
we were growing up um, in Sydney, Australia. You you either live on the beach or you you live close to it. So um, so we had the opportunity, as I mentioned, to to get into surf lifesaving. That was the the beginning of uh, really the forming stage of uh, service to the community and so forth. But it added a, a level of competition to it. And as I started to get older, I got exposed to different offshoots of that. One of those being kayaking, sprint kayaking, as a matter of fact. And I remember my dad taking me to uh, to uh, Narrabeen Lake, which is in Sydney, uh, just in the north of Sydney, and and said, hey, well, why don't you give this a try? And so I thought, why not? It seems like fun, and, and I spend my life near the water. What's a, what's another boat to, uh, to to be in? So I fell in love with it immediately, kept going back every weekend. I, I just enjoyed it. And what, what was it specifically that really connected you to this more than other things you'd done? Um, I, think, I think there were two things. There's, there's an element of it's beautiful. There's nothing more, um, more fun to me than being out on the water, um, being sort of in your own environment in a beautiful place. And uh, so there was that aesthetic element to it. But then there was the competitive element of this is an Olympic sport. I could literally go to the Olympics if I was prepared to work hard enough. And so that all of a sudden, because of my competitive nature, then it turned to an outlet where I could really get after that. And so when I was about 14, I picked up a paddle and, uh, and kept going back and uh, ended up uh, going to the Junior World Championships a, a couple of years later, which is the, the, the article that you referenced, and, uh, and finally ended up going to the, to the Senior World Championships. I did miss out on the Olympic team, but, um, but I went to the Senior World Championships the year after, and, uh, and that sort of completed my list of goals for myself that I wanted to achieve before I started my you know, work life because being, being a kayaker does not pay a lot. So, uh, so if, when you've got a, a young family or you've, um, you've, you've just got married, which is, um, which is around about that age for me, um, kayaking does not pay the bills. So it, it's fun, it's awesome, but, uh, but it doesn't pay the bills. So uh, Junior World Championships, this is, this is the story that, that I read about. And this is a story, I think kind of initially, it sounds like a heartbreak. Mm -hmm. But one that over time and the uh, the gift of, you know, like retrospection yeah. has turned itself into probably one of the more powerful um, guiding principles and lessons that, that you've learned. Right. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. It's it's one. Of, it was one of those things that at the time, um, the the disappointment and the pain and the, of, of not achieving what I set out to, which was what? Like, because I don't. You know, we can post a link to the article and, and we'll definitely do that um, so everybody can read through it. But what, what was the desired outcome and what was the heartbreak? So when, uh, when I first started kayaking, um, you know, the aim was to go to the Olympics. And one of the milestones along the way was making the Australian national team for, uh, at a junior level and then starting to progress. So fortunately, we put in a lot of work. We were out there every day from you know, probably 5, 5.30 till 7 every single morning every single afternoon uh, we were in the gym we put in a lot of effort uh, it was it was truly a professional um, setup that we had and it just didn't pay that way but uh, <laughs> but but we we had um, we had the opportunity when i made the australian team to go to europe and race and so the the objectives then really started to get serious for me so it wasn't just about going and being in on the water and enjoying that it became this can be something that achieves something really deep within me that yeah. I have, which is the need to achieve. So we went to, uh, in 1997, 
we went to Finland for the for the World Championships, and pri just prior to that, we did the World Cup circuit in Europe. So we we did a race in uh, in Poland, which is the one of the World Cup regattas. We won that race, so we we won the Junior World Cup, and uh, and we were flying high uh, going into the World Championships. We we were, were feeling pretty good about our progress. We'd worked so hard over the preceding not just one or two years, but four years. Um, to uh, to get prepared for this, and this was the Four major years for this one moment. This major goal, wow. it, it all came okay. down to down to this. And so, when you're a junior athlete, that's really it. Because the seniors in kayaking, anyway, they're a lot bigger. They they are. It's it's yeah, a sport your body where, changes completely. Correct. It's it's a sport where very rarely do you see someone so young break into the senior ranks. But uh, but we we had our goal. My K two partner and I, um, K two is a pair. Uh, Nigel Hoshke and I, we we raced. And, uh, and so we won the World Cup, we went to Finland, brimming with confidence. Um, we, had, um, we didn't have high expectations on us because we're a couple of kids from Australia and, and we knew our competition, we knew we had a good chance. Uh, but, um, but as our first race of the championships, I think we won by something like 15 seconds. It was, it was we destroyed sure, everyone. Yeah. Um, and then we thought, okay, well that was a heat. Uh, people, people are probably uh, taking it a little bit easy. But what, I'll, what, what we'll see in the semi-final probably be a little bit harder. Well, turns out we won the semi-final by about the same distance. And, uh, and in, the, in the article you referenced, I post a picture of that semi-final that we won by uh, probably two or three boat lengths. Wow. And so we, we go into the final thinking we're the fastest qualifiers, top seeds, World Cup winners. We've got this. Yeah. We just need to go through, run our race plan, execute the process that we had, and we should come out on top. And so, best laid plans. So we, we had... I, um, I think Mike Tyson has a saying that, that seems appropriate here. Everybody has a plan until he gets punched in the face. That, and the punch in the face for us, I think that's 100% <laughs> okay. true. Right. The, the punch in the face for us came during our warm-up. So our final warm-up, uh, usually you go out for about uh, 30 minutes before uh, the race and you, uh, you, you, you start to build, get your heart rate going, get your, get your, your muscles moving. And... Uh, as we started to approach the, the final few minutes before the race, I started to notice that the boat was kept on turning. It, it wouldn't stay in a straight line. It started to, the, the steering was not responding the way that I needed it to. So I was in the front of the boat. And so my role is to actually you know, steer the boat at the same time. So I set the pace and steer the boat. And Nigel will tell you that his job was to push me down the, down the, <laughs> the course. So, uh, so, so it, all of a sudden it started to, to, to go wrong. Yeah. And I was a 17-year-old kid, very, you know, a little bit nervous, I will say, at, at the race. And all of a sudden, this happens. So I, I turned around to Nigel. I said, without repeating exactly, there's something wrong here. We've got a problem. And so we got off out of the, out of the boat at a pontoon. And all the while, we could hear the announcer, the starters, you know, counting down the clock, two minutes to start. One minute to start. Wow, what and pressure. We're, oh my God. And we're, so we're, we're in this boat freaking out yeah. because of all this effort that we put in and the steering, which is vitally important when you've got only you know, 10 yards worth of lane um, to go down for a thousand meters. Yeah. Uh, to, um, we, we had to get that right. So we, we were trying to flag down some of the uh, officials to, to have them delay the race. And then they got to one minute to start. Please approach the line. And we looked at each other and we just said, okay, we, we got to go. Yeah. Like, we'll just have to figure this thing out. And so at that point, going into the gates, my heart rate was at about 150 and I hadn't even started yet. And, <laughs> and so we were, I, I was very panicked at that point. 
and that's not good for the person who's setting the tone of the race. Right. And so, so the gun went off. We we went, and uh, and our typical strategy was to get out to a lead. We were very quick off the start. Get out to an early lead. Get into a rhythm. Have a lift halfway, and then and then bring it home with 150 to go. And uh, but I could not, for the life of me, keep this thing straight. So the whole thing just started to to go to go awry. And the the most devastating part of it was we still kept up with the leaders. Um, we stayed with the the top lead, the top crews, but they they ended up pulling away at the end. And and it was devastating because when you're an athlete you tend to visualize a lot of things. It's, it's, a, it's a great way of being able to instill the confidence in you that you've seen it before, you've done it before, you know what happens, you know what's supposed to happen, it's part of a process. And uh, and to see there it the is. Germans process. I was, wait, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. And now everybody who's listening gets to enjoy process. It took you. I don't know how long we're into it, but it took I, you that long to get to process. I, I was. I, I'm. I'm quite surprised at myself. But uh, all right. Hey, if you are a fan of the Belonging Factor podcast, you are going to love the Belonging Factor book. My new book, Belonging Factor, how great brands and great leaders inspire loyalty, build community and grow profits is now available. So get on Amazon, order your copy today, ebook, audiobook, paperback, hardcover. We've got you covered no matter what your preference. So you're right. You don't envision this this thing, right? Oh no, no. That was that was way out of left field, and uh, and you know you you could almost I, I almost felt um, during the during the race this sort of feeling of hopelessness, and I was already kind of ticked off, and you know I felt like the whole thing was crumbling around me. Um, but um, but to see them pull away from us right at the end and and finish the race exactly how I envisaged us doing it thousands of times. Um, was was so utterly demoralizing and, and painful. I think as we crossed the line uh, in fourth place, so the way that I the way that we both saw it was that we were the first crew to walk away with nothing. Yeah, no podium, no medals, nothing. no anything, and uh, and and so we crossed the line, and and there was just this flood of disappointment and emotion of of not achieving this thing that had become the pinnacle like the only thing that mattered was winning this race uh over over the last few years and to have put in all that time and effort uh it was just it was very rough so um so we kind of floated off and uh we saw the germans and the argentinians and the and the yugoslavians celebrating and 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 it was just very very uh, very difficult i'm sure i probably had a few tears in my eyes at that point uh, but um but we got out of the boat and we, we went back and as, uh, as we got back to where our craft is, is docked, uh, our coach came over and naturally wanted to know what in the world happened. Yeah. And uh, we so told your coach him, had no idea this whole time? No, no. Your coach is watching you guys just drift further and further Absolutely. Oh. And so, so we, uh, we, he, he start, uh, we told him about the steering and all of a sudden he moved something and the whole thing just came apart. The, the cables that, wow. that, uh, that fasten the steering to the rudder uh, basically came part after the race so so that was to, to have to feel like it was snatched from you was, right it was an equipment failure yeah it wasn't you yeah. you were the best we were we were we were you just won two heats by 
boat lengths. Yep. We we felt we felt like it just it was it was just such a travesty. Sure. And uh, and so that that's that's Sabotage what happened. Maybe uh, even, huh? There was there was, was talk, there was talk of that. There, I, I I'm. We're we're not one to point fingers, but um, but but in the in the grand scheme of things, it was an equipment malfunction. But uh, but I must admit that it, at that moment when you're so you know distraught, sure. you start reaching for things and yep. and you start to think, well, well, did the Germans do this to us? That sort of thing. But um, but uh, but look, in the end, once we once once we had a chance to get everything settled, um, and I had to go face my parents, which for me was very difficult because. They they had invested almost as much time in this as I had, so they came over to Finland. They had um, they'd flown over to uh, to Poland to watch the regatta. My family was all sending me faxes and everything when when you used to send Fax, faxes. Yeah, right. uh, and uh, and so there was so much this support. This was pretext, right? Nineteen ninety seven. There was there was no mobile phones, but uh, but but it was it was for me. I felt like I'd let them down as well. That I'd allowed this thing to to kind of get in the way of what should have been an amazing moment for not just me, but for everyone who'd been part of that journey. And so I want, I have this. Inter I want to explore that for a second. Cause that's an interesting perspective. Um, so was, was it about like pleasing these people or was it more about the idea of, of having this perspective that they worked and invested just as much as I did, or was that more retrospect? Because yeah. you, you shared something that, for me, I don't know in the moment if I would have recognized that. Um, I and think, that's powerful. I think it. I think it was because um, I think in the end, when you when you're at that level, it's not just you who's who's getting you to that to that point. There's a whole host of people who are supporting you, or in my parents' case, driving you around, forking out the money for you know a, a, a kayak that runs five six thousand dollars. You've got um, you've got a whole host of people who are part of that journey, mm. and and to to have it fall short at the last and most crucial moment was pretty devastating because I felt like they were so pumped up about the about the the race that um, that I didn't deliver the way that I I thought I could. So so more that you guys were part of this team literally, oh, yeah. absolutely, and everybody had their role, and yep. your role was to steer and set the tone, mm -hmm. and. Yep. And your mate's role was to push you down the water. Yep. <laughs> right. And and your parents' role was to be logistics and support and yep. everything. Yeah. You've so got, I, you've got, got a you got a coach who's who's invest every every moment we were out on the water or in the gym. He was there. Um, we had other coaches who were part of my initial um, initial stages of kayaking that that really developed a love for it. So so there were so many people who. I didn't feel like there was an expectation on us, but there was a desire within me to deliver back something. Um, so without, um, without getting myself upset, I remember thinking at the time that, um, that one of the things that I thought would be really cool was to give my parents this gift of uh, the medal itself. Yeah. So to, to not be able to, to be so close to being able to give them that, which to me at the time was the most important thing. Right. Uh, it it um, it was just crushing. So I had to walk back from from where where the, where the teams were, uh, along the bank by myself, towards where my parents were. And so, as I write in the article, I started to at that point put it into perspective a little bit. And I'd heard a story um, earlier on in my career. It stuck with me because it was so cool about a kayaker by the name of Grant Davies, who in the in 1988 was competing for Australia at the Seoul Olympics. He was not given much of a chance. He was in an outside lane, but he absolutely tore it up. 
and, uh, and was awarded the gold medal for 11 minutes. Okay. So he crossed the line. He, uh, he was told that he'd won the gold. And so you can imagine, and, and we knew this because we visualized this mo- these moments so much, how just amazing that would be. That's the pinnacle of your mm-hmm. entire sporting career. Mm-hmm. Everything you've worked for right to that point. And to have it taken off him by the narrowest margin in Olympic history, 11 minutes after he was awarded the gold medal, uh, must have been to, to him like absolutely crushing. Well, what was the what was so somebody else was deemed the winner through like photo finish? Or Correct. Something? They they went back to a, a, a five one thousandth of a second, and uh, how, it was it this, was this was eighty eight. Like yeah. we didn't even have digital technology. How do you calculate a thousandth? Of a I, I I don't know, and uh, and I'm sure there are a few people who are asking that question at the same time. Sure. But um, but 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 what was cool about about Davies and how he responded that stuck with me, and I heard the story long before I was in Finland, was um, when someone, I think it was a reporter, asked him about the disappointment or the, 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 the anger he might feel, his response was, hey, if this is the worst thing that ever happens to me, I got a pretty good life ahead of me. And so that, at that moment, when I was walking back to where my parents were, um, that occurred to me that, hey, this is, this is a big race, it was important to you, but it's not the only thing in life. And you did a good job. It was an equipment malfunction. You just, you did the best you could. Yeah. And they're gonna be proud of you no matter what. And that's, that's essentially what um, my first change of mindset after that race where I was very bitter after it. As I was walking along just by myself, I started to, to, to put it into a bit of perspective that this isn't the end of the world. It's not the only part. And there were so many other things that I've enjoyed in the lead up to it that um that uh, while it's hard in that moment to to really comprehend um it uh, it started to, to to put that devastation into perspective that it sounds utterly devastating in the moment considering all the hard work and i'm surprised that you had any like awareness to start to frame that so early yeah it's it was hard and and i remember i remember when i got to my parents um you know i i tried to put on a brave face of course and because i knew they were they were pretty uh pretty pretty disappointed as well not in me but they wanted the best for me obviously and and so i think you know i think uh i just shrugged my shoulders at, at, at one point when i saw my dad in particular and i just said these things happen and that was that was the reaction that the outward display of my my reaction um that um from from grant davies's experience if if he could get over it then you know it's it's not not the end of the world sure and so that um that ended up uh that was the first moment where i thought okay that is a good learning experience for me um that is something that i will take with me going forward and that and there have been a number of situations over the course of the last 40 years where that's happened that was one of the major ones because it was it, it was such a big deal to me that for me to then react and and, and put that sure. perspective there was um, was important and fairly early on right you you, mm-hmm. you had a uh, limited experiences i think that that were that massively shaping yeah, so and that comes back to as well you know you're shaped by your upbringing and and i, I was very fortunate to to have um, you know, great family who was very competitive and, you know, they, they loved to achieve all of them. Um, and, uh, and we were encouraged to, to, to put forth best efforts all the time, you know, and, uh, work hard and, uh, and, and just basically try and leave it all out on the, on the, 
on the uh, on, on the, the pitch. Yeah, on the pitch. And so and so that um, yeah, when before we before we raced, my dad said, "Look, no regrets when you go over the line. Just you know, do the best you can." And um, and unfortunately, the pain was because I didn't think we did our best. Yeah, we 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 weren't um, we weren't as good as we could have been, and uh, and that that sort of stuck with me for a while. But in the end. It was um, it was a monumental learning experience. One of the things you wrote in the article that, that really stood out to me was, uh, and I'll, I'll just read this line. Years later, I can look back on that moment in my life um, and all the ones that led up to it, not as one of the biggest disappointments, but one of the best one of the best learning experiences I've ever had. And. And I think you kind of summarize that with, you remember the journey more than the destination. Mm -hmm. So maybe in the context of, of kind of forming this value set, uh, what, what was the most important you know, piece there that, that ultimately you're conveying now that you can look back and reflect? And where has that shown up, um, that value set, in um, aligning other things you've done since then? For sure. So when I, when I look back at the years that I spent, it, was, it ended up being 10 years of a, of a career where... where every single almost moment of your day is, is dedicated to that one goal, that, that one end. Um, you can tend to lose sight of all the cool things that are happening during that. So if, if you look at, in totality, you look at 10 years, I got so much stronger, I, mentally and physically. Um, I developed a love of competing. I developed a, 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 a talent, uh, a, a very specific skill. Um, I was exposed to different countries. I was exposed to different cultures. I was exposed to um, to a wide range of people. I was exposed to disappointment. I was exposed to uh, you know frustration, um, and uh, and had to cope with that in a, in in a number of ways. And so so when you look at um, when you look at the challenges that were put in front of me, that ten year period of time was it helped me mature in a in a significant way. Yeah. Then you then you also have to remember that that one race or ma not making the Olympic team, for example, both very disappointing, but that was only one page of the book. The book had so many wonderful chapters and, uh, and, and I know you talk about your scrapbook, uh, but, uh, but the pages in, in my, my book at that point in my life were full of awesome experiences um, that helped me grow, that helped me influence other people uh, that helped me be part of something that was bigger than myself, represent my country, the, something that few people get to do. It's, I mean, there were so many wonderful things that I, that I had the privilege of, of being able to, uh, to accomplish. And so if you only look at one component of, of your book as the sum total of all of it, then you're missing a lot. Yeah, and chapter so, does not make the story. It, right? do, it yeah. does not, and and so when you when you apply that to the work in Verizon, for example, so so what we were trying to accomplish in in our team, as you know, is you know, industry leading customer experience performance. Uh, we 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 competed at a at a pretty relentless level uh, within Verizon because that was our company culture. And again, someone who's brought up in a in a in a performance based environment uh, thrives in that sort of thing. But, uh, but so those experiences that I had, both positive and negative, are absolutely applicable and, and relate directly to the work that we would do in any endeavor, yeah. whether, it's, whether it's a metric that we're trying to get after, a product that we're trying to launch, or, uh, or something, that, um, something that has an end goal. There is a journey along the way that, um, that if, you, if you lose sight of that and you can't see the forest from the tree, um, you will wind up potentially being a very bitter, disappointed person uh, who doesn't really quite grasp what they've really accomplished 
if that last mile is not uh, is not fulfilled and that's a very i think very debilitating mindset so so i you know in in verizon terms we weren't always the number one team in the country we weren't always uh stellar in every single kpi that we had but what we did was i think we pushed everyone to be better I think that we had a great culture within our team. We had a lot of fun times as a team and within the organization. And if all you looked at was we weren't number one in this certain metric, um, you you really are unfortunately not only selling yourself and your team short, uh, but you you're not giving yourself the credit you need to for the work that you actually have put in. So that that's that's where I see the journey being far more important because not everyone's going to win. Not everyone. There's only one person who can actually be the winner. Uh, but um, but there are plenty of people who can be very proud of the work that they do and very along successful. The way. Correct, right. absolutely. Yeah, incredibly mm-hmm. successful yep. uh, along the way. Winning is one definition or yep. measurement. Yep. And if it's t- if you if your definition of success is too narrow, I think um, you you line yourself up for disappointment. And what that ends up doing is translating into, particularly in a leadership role, how everyone else feels about it. So if you've got your head on straight and you actually understand that um, that. Yeah, that this is a journey, and along the way there are going to be a lot of milestones that you never want to forget. Um, if you if you do that, then every it's a more positive environment for people to be in, and and ultimately you you really do value the work that, um, that that's been done. So, yeah, I, I think um, I think that whole episode in Finland uh, was uh, was huge in terms of my development of my character. Yeah, uh, and I think that's uh, ultimately that's what's important. All right, so as um, you know, as you share the story, which reading it, uh, and again, everybody check out the link uh, in the description here, and you'll get a chance to read Darren's story and think a little bit about how it can apply for what you're doing in, in your world, in your life. Um, but there are three sections here that, that really kind of pushed this forward for me and, and got me to, to understand a little bit more about even working five years with you, things I didn't know shaped the leader that that I had the chance to work with. Um, And you kind of talked about it in three different ways, right? One of them was check your rigging, which I think in in light of the story sounds like it's always a great idea, but also into how you kind of apply that to life in general and this idea of going forward, how you align that with leadership, with Mm -hmm. fatherhood, with you name it, with life. You've got to you've got to have a mechanism in place to make sure that uh, that you're still on track um, for for what you what you want to accomplish. So in our case, for us to go out there and race the best we could, we needed to make sure that our boat was in good working order. And and uh, and in in business terms, if you've got a product that's launching, you want to make sure the product works. Um, so your quality assurance um, uh, process and and go to market, making sure that everything is, is in place, and not assuming that just because something is brand new that it's going to work right uh, as well as it should out of the box. Uh, so so what what I recommended um, from that is, and what we put in place after that race uh, was a good comprehensive. Uh, set of checks and balances to make sure that um, that everything was ready. We were physically ready, we, our, our craft was ready, uh, that we had the right race plan. We, we gut checked everything against, uh, against what our purpose was and what the plan was. Uh, when, you, when you fast forward into business, and you saw this probably more, more than most, is when we wanted to launch an initiative or when we're starting to do something, not only was there a clear end goal Yes, we want to win. Win the race. But, uh, but, but there were a number of milestones in the lead up. There was a, a specific 
repeatable process that, that we put in place to make sure that when it came time to compete, we were ready and raring to go. So, uh, so that might be a number of different uh, elements that you put in there. Not only is there a good plan that you can connect the dots between where you are and where you want to be. So in our case, if I was you know, starting the season, by the end of the season at the World Championships, I wanted to be number one. So what would I need to do? What would need to be true for that to happen yeah. in terms of my preparation, my, um, my, you know, the diet, all those sorts of things. Um, in business, you're talking about um, are all the elements of success there and are all your resources and assets uh, ready to deploy in the right fashion, in the right timing, in the right order? Have you red teamed the strategy? Have you, uh, have you uh, made sure that you've gone back and checked the product and the, or, or the offering that you have? Um, those are things that are just, they can get easily lost and they were for us um, in, uh, in Finland. Obviously, we didn't check our boat before we, we went out there and, um, and we paid a severe penalty. Uh, but in business, that happens every single day. Uh, but having some repeatable process and mechanism to not only plan a strategy and plan your tactics, but to make sure that all of those elements are ready. So uh, that would be sort of making sure that, um, that there's calls before launch, that um, we're checking and rechecking everything. And there's been a number of examples in my career where that's happened, but it's certainly a very, very valuable uh, step in the process. All right, so you've, you've done all this and, and you've experienced these emotions and you came back to your family with a little bit of perspective on that short walk, which probably felt like forever mm -hmm. back to them. And, uh, and then you went to bed that night, then what happened? So at that point, when, when you've had something that has been the focal point of four plus years of effort, uh, and it's now not there anymore, what do you do? So we, uh, my coach and I, uh, and my, my partner, Nigel, we, we all sat down and sort of reassessed goals. You've got to, in the, in the, in the face of disappointment, you've got to then say, well, well what can we do now? Um, what's the next step in the process? And that would be, for a start, reassessing what we wanted to shoot for next. What was the next objective that, in light of the fact that I couldn't change what's happened, I can, um, I can only move forward on. And so we set a number of milestones and goals that were out there. So whether it was uh, not the junior team, because then my age wouldn't, uh, wouldn't permit. So getting into the national senior team was the first major milestone. And then from there, working backwards to well, what would need to be true to make that happen. So if you, if you put your long-term audacious goal out there and you, come, and you start working backwards, it makes it easier then to fill in the blanks between where you are now and where you want to be. So that was, um, that was an important part of it. You've got to sit down. Uh, this was a couple of months later. It wasn't the next day. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so a couple of months later, I, I must admit, I, I, uh, I, I, I relaxed a little bit after the World Championships. I, um, I did probably a little, uh, a little bit too much relaxing. But, um, but in the end, I, I came to the conclusion at that point, and it really solidified that I can't keep worrying about something that I had no control over. I had to then just move forward and get to the next goal. So we all sat down. We, we had a break and sat down. And then we established that and we started to put that plan in place. Get back on the water, um, get your winter base training done. Then you start to move into the next, next uh, stage of the, of, the, uh, of, the, of the season. And so that was an important part of it because it regrounds you then in, okay, well, what next? And then the disappointment of Finland kind of disappears because then you've got something else now to look forward to, which is a very positive thing. And now you're talking about that all the time. So, so those are the things that help you move forward past that disappointment and re-engage into something that's, that's ultimately a lot more positive. So that, that, was, um, that was one of the most important factors in our rebound 
to, to get back to where, where ultimately I ended up being. Yeah, and there's, there's like a million lessons you could pull from any one event in your life if you choose to you know, analyze and, and dissect all the moments leading up to it and whatever that moment was and then everything that you can impact after it, right? The, the experience that I had uh, working with you was a, a measured leader who had structured process, who had a vision for the long goal, who had the steps to, you know, what has to be true, the steps to work towards achieving that goal. And, um, and that ability to uh, look at the people as part of that equation, not just your contribution. And when you list what had to be true, although I never saw your process, what I'm sure existed was the types of um, people or the things that you needed within your team mm -hmm. to be present so you could achieve what you did. Uh, which, by the way, I think you know, a, a couple of top honors, back-to-back -back years achieving president's cabinet at Verizon, which uh, is representative of, as a leader in your position, putting together a team that is working at exactly what you needed them to work on to achieve that. So, uh, and if I look at, just being candid here, if I look at when you left Verizon, the social media outpouring of support for you and your next endeavor and appreciation for what you delivered in that endeavor was overwhelming to me as a person reading it. I don't know how it <laughs> felt to you. And me, uh, I can tell you. But every word that I read resonated with me as something I knew to be true as well, um, as far as um, impact uh, just in general as, as a person. So to be able to, to achieve these types of results and to be able to do it with um, direct and indirect influence mm -hmm. and to do it with a team of hundreds and hundreds of people responsible to accomplish it and to have virtually every one of them have this sense of like man that was a great time man we did so many great things I'm so proud of that and I'm a better person for having been part of it mm -hmm. I think if we talk about legacy and we talk about impact to me that's top of list when when I see and experience and observe what's out there as far as your impact. So how, how does this, well, first of all, I don't know, how does that make you feel? <laughs> uh, well, I, I tell you, when, when, uh, when I started reading some of those messages, uh, I, I, think they, I think the term is imposter syndrome, where you, where yeah. you, you feel like, no, I don't deserve this, or I, I shouldn't sure. be in this spot, sure. because you know, we're always our, our own worst critic. And, um, and, uh, and to see some of the things that, that people had written, um, you know, I, I I I have to admit it was it was it was quite emotional actually reading that because one of the things when one of the things that gets you into leadership is is a huge why of trying to help people, trying to make sure that um, that people are better um, for you being around, and hoping that um, that you achieve that. And to see the comments from people indicating that 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 in fact happened was so gratifying. You talk about a journey. Um, as opposed to the end result. The end result was never to get that feedback. Um, but, um, but obviously the journey along the way was, um, was so rewarding for me and for, for, um, uh, for obviously some others as well. And so, so that, was, um, that was unbelievable um, to see that outpouring. And, uh, and you know, I, I've accomplished nothing by myself. Um, it has always been, whether you take Finland or, or, or any of the success that I had, it was always a team. It was my parents, my partners, 
the, uh, the, the teammates that I had that, that continued to help us raise the standard of our performance. Um, there's the coaches, you've got the support staff, you've got nutritionists, you've got a whole host of people who are there as part of one collective effort. Yep. And so you talk about a great grounding in how to be a leader is understanding how many of those components are necessary for you to get to a point where you even are in position to win. So, so, so for, for me, take, going back to that journey, there were so many people who were part of that along the way, both in sport, but obviously in Verizon as well. And, and to this day, I mean, I, I remain so appreciative because of the benefits that I, I've personally um, been able to, to gain. Um, but I hope that um, what I've gained out of it is, is significantly less than what everyone else has. Um, because that's why you get into this gig in the first place. It's not about you, it's about it's about doing something that has an impact and that helps people and uh, helps achieve goals. And, and, and it was nice to, to hear that, that, that that was actually the case. So. Sure. Hey, so how can we stay connected? It's really easy. Anything related to the podcast or Belonging Factor, visit belongingfactor.com, email ibelong at belongingfactor.com, or hit us on Twitter at belongingfactor. And if you're interested in talking to me about speaking engagements or anything I can do to help make your corporate meeting, office meeting, retreat, or seminar more enjoyable, more fun, more connected, it would be an honor to speak with you. So visit devinhalliday.com for more information. Awesome. Looking forward to stay connected. And, and, and I think the, the big, you know, takeaway moment from your story about your experience in Finland and what led up to it and what's happened since that is kind of what I led with in this idea that we're shaped by so many things. And in this case, um, they aligned for you in a way that it created a value set, Mm -hmm. whether you intentionally were yeah. you know writing that down hey this is a value of mine now which i don't no. know if anybody no. does no. <laughs> that would be awkward uh, however it 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 became kind of part of your dna your your cultural dna um so then when you were looking to find people to be part of your team uh and the teams that you built not just at you know, uh, any particular job in Verizon, but just in general. So what are some of the things that stick out to you as part of the tribe that, that makes sense? Um, is it just people who are at the absolute peak of their current performance and their role? Is it people who you see a potential in? Like, wh- where does the dynamic fit? Because this is the part where kind of the rubber meets the road, when a value turns into a behavior that turns into a result, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, th- I think it's a, it's a really interesting concept. And, and we, you, know, you don't go out of your way to think about it. You realize it at some point that, hey, these, these are the types of people that I want to associate with. And eventually you create a process f- you for do. what you, you repeat those things that help you be successful. Absolutely. And, and so the, the grounding of, of sport, you, you've obviously, you're in the, the mix of very competitive people. Um, you've got people who want to achieve, you're very high performing, um, you know, hard-working people so you're never going to be successful in any in any line of work or in any in any sport if you're not of that mindset Um, people who are prepared to sacrifice Um, those are characteristics of people that i saw and and was ingrained into that just became part of who i was um, because you you're constantly surrounded by these people Um, as i mentioned earlier on you, you you start to as you get older and more experienced and you've, you've got a, a wider lens, you can start to then select things in addition to that, that um, it's not just about if you're a really 
successful athlete, or it's not just about if you um, if you are um, a, a leader in something. Then it starts to become character as well, because you see throughout the course of working on teams or being parts of teams that um, that someone's talent and their abilities uh, are only as uh, as valuable as their character and, and their their contribution to the team. So you so an example would be you've got someone who might be extraordinarily talented, uh, have a track record of, of outstanding performance, but they're just not a very good person at their core. Maybe they have some integrity gaps. Maybe maybe they're willing to do anything at any cost. And there is a point where you have to as a as as a an individual or a leader um, say, I don't want that. In, I don't want to be associated with that or that's not how I roll. And so over time, you start to separate out and be a little bit more specific or a lot more specific in, um, in the types of people you bring on board. Here's a, a, a for instance. So um, uh, when, um, when I look at hiring someone, uh, first thing that I'm looking for is not their track record of delivering results, although that is important. Um, it is their character um, and particularly parts of their character that are important to me is what have they done in their background that has been quite selfless. So if you go back to my initial grounding in community service and in surf lifesaving, that's a selfless act. It, it was, you know, I had other things to do yeah. or other things I could have done, but I did that. And I associated with people who were doing the same thing, like-minded individuals. And I like that. I also saw the difference between those who did that and those who didn't. Um, so subconsciously you you make a note of that right um, then you then you move into the the high performance arena so you've got very talented people but you've also got people who aren't good members of a crew uh, so if if you're in a, a boat with four people and one of them's just a pain um, the soonest you can get that person out of the boat and get someone in who might not be quite as good but gels better with the team ultimately everyone moves forward an example of this would be um, uh, with the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team. And you mentioned Legacy. Uh, for those of you who haven't read it, there's a book called Legacy by a, a fellow by the name of Andrew Kerr. Uh, who it's a it, tremendous book. It is. Thank it you is, for sharing. No, <laughs> thank you. And, and it's, um, it was fantastic because the, the New Zealand All Blacks have something ridiculous like an 80% win record since 1870. Yeah, like lifetime. Yeah, they, lifetime. They, like, <laughs> if you think about the Patriots or any of the, the US teams that are successful, the All Blacks are in a different realm altogether. And one of the things that makes them so successful is the culture that they've built. And it's not the people who they select, it's the people who they don't select. They have a specific policy around character where the team members themselves have a, almost a veto right. Some of the senior members of the team have a veto right over anyone who's selected, even a veto over the coaches. So if you're not a good person of good character, no matter how talented or how skilled you are, you will never wear that jersey. And it is, it is a... It is a legacy that is passed on from generation to generation. And top of the list for the All Blacks is character beyond anything else. And so as, as I've gone through, you start to identify people with good character who may not be the best at one metric or another. And I'll, let's be honest, there were when we first met, um, one of the things that really drew me to, to hiring you into, into our team, and I think I said, I've got to get you on my team somehow, right. um, was, um, was the fact that not only had you demonstrated your ability to perform, but, um, but I could see elements of your character in your background and, and feedback from other people that, um, that said, this is someone who's going to gel very well with our team. If you surround yourself with that, you've got a really good team. And, um, and, if, you, and if they're all like-minded people who have similar uh, goals, similar ambitions, uh, similar um, values, 
then your ability to move 1200 people in a certain direction becomes a lot easier. And so that's, that's where it's really uh, those core values in the tribe. You know, our tribe in, in, uh, in, in our work group was, um, was fantastic because we all got along, we all had shared values, we didn't always agree, but it was important to have um, that diversity of thought and uh, diversity of skill set, but consistency of character, which yeah. is, I think is important. I agree, and and you got to steer the boat without any rigging issues. Wow! But, All your mates I, <laughs> pushed you down the, the river. It was um, it was it was a really it was a really great example of all of those things coming together. Yeah. So 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 we um, yeah we were, we were fortunate, but again, it's part of a process of 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 surrounding yourself with like minded people who have shared values, a shared objective, and if you have that, then wow, you've got yourself a tribe. And that that's powerful because to your point along every version of what we talked about is anybody who believes they're on an individual journey and it can strike out mm -hmm. on their own is going to achieve with enough luck and enough hard work some success no question about it but to ultimately perform at pinnacle uh, in any moment or over you know a lifetime all blacks 80 plus percent winning percentage is this idea of understanding your value alignment um, making sure that you have a deliberate uh, intention of being a high performer, being around people who have a drive and desire to win, but not at any cost to character, right? And from there, as a leader in particular, building teams around those core concepts. Mm -hmm. And again, what was so tremendous for me to observe uh, as an insider and an outsider was just how much people wanted to be part of that environment, perform in that environment, and when it you know, has now kind of matured into its next phase, have taken that and built that into what they do. And so that impact kind of continues to pass forward, mm -hmm. just the same way that Grant Davies made a statement, mm -hmm. kind of probably uh, honest and a bit random at the moment, mm -hmm resonated so much with you that it shaped 18, how you 18 or 19 to, years later yeah. right how you chose to 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 act and react in a situation that then shaped this character that builds and so these moments aren't always as clearly easy to recognize for everybody as they were for you that was a big moment you'd spent four years working towards that moment um but we all have those moments and opportunities i think to look what's our value set does this align and how do I better align myself with those people or with environments or work groups or um, leaders who have these, these particular pieces? And in that case, you've got, you've got the, one of the other values that you, you want to call out is uh, not just people of good character, but part of, part of having good character is your willingness to learn, your willingness mm -hmm. to be introspective, uh, to be able to say, oh, maybe I'm not thinking about this the right way. Maybe I'm not the end-all, be-all, and, and someone else has something that they can, they can contribute that I can learn from. Uh, I learned from Grant Davies' example. I've learned from all of you when, when we were there. Um, I don't think that I'm God's gift to retail. I don't think that I'm, um, you know, any more special than anyone else. But what I, if I do have something that drives me um, forward at a, at a better rate, it's my willingness to be curious about stuff, to learn, and to to acknowledge that I don't know everything. And uh, and that helps you learn, um, which ultimately translates into better performance. So, 
So having having less of an ego and just you know, being a being a good person is to, typically will steer you in the right direction. Yeah, and so maybe we can close with this because there's a uh, I've heard you say this a few times, and it's so simple. And like many things that are very simple, uh, so sometimes difficult to to execute. Right, so difficult to pause in a moment and really make sure that it's what you choose to do in that moment. And it's something I think your father said to you about how to be a successful person. Yeah, yeah. my, my father told me when I was going after my first big job, uh, getting into, into business for the first time, he sat me down, he gave me two great pieces of advice that stick with me today. The first was simply be a good guy, do the right things for the right reasons, and stuff will tend to work out fine. Um, the second was if you're ever in trouble, if you're missing targets, if you're missing quotas, if things aren't going your way, raise your hand and get help. Um, you can enlist that help from people around you, your peers. You can obviously go to your supervisors or any, any of your leaders, anyone who's in your network. And it harkens back to that time in my life when it wasn't just me and a, and a kayak and a paddle. It was a whole army of people who were there to support us. And I was learning from them in different ways, being pushed by them out of my comfort zone. Um, so it was a whole collective effort, but that grounding then translated into, I think the major catalyst for every success I've had is good character, or at least I try to be a good character anyway, uh, making sure that I have the right mindset, that I'm competitive, that I, that I have good structure and process, that I understand all the resources that are around, I'm not afraid to use them, and, um, and I'm willing to, 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 to ask for help. And if you're not, then you're limiting yourself to only as good as you are. Uh, if you tap into the collective mindset and skills and talents of people around you, then all of you together will, will go a lot further. So um, it's just being able to do that and harness that and put it into some sort of repeatable process that becomes your MO, how, how you roll, um, is, uh, is ultimately what, what makes the difference, I think. I've heard that story, you know, just the, those few things a couple of times uh, over the years. And I've been in rooms where you've said it to 300 people and... I don't know if from where you were sitting, you, you could see it, but from where I was sitting, you, you see a bunch of people just start jotting down this note mm -hmm. and they just, they write it down, be a good person and, you know, do good things and stuff will mm -hmm. tend to work out and, uh, and ask for help. And the interesting part about it, like I said, simple, but not always easy to execute. Mm -hmm. And you, you might be able to attest to this. Uh, it, it's just speaking out of my personal experience, when you're in it and you're kind of, you know, you're in the shit, you're trying to figure out what's going on mm -hmm. and it's not working out the way you want it. Sometimes you're so lasered in to just figuring it out that that pause to raise the hand and say, Hey, give me some perspective. You know, what, what do you see that I'm not seeing? How can you help this? Uh, so what's the one tip you could give just one quick tip on you're in it. You're in the moment. It's tough. You're trying to power through and figure it out. And how do you recognize Okay, I should raise my hand here. I should. I should stop. Well, I think the old adage, uh, if you're in, if you're in a hole, stop digging. Okay, uh, is, uh, <laughs> that's is, fair. <laughs> is is definitely the the sort of the genesis of it. But um, but things when you try and go it alone, you 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 are only as good as as your capabilities, and you can exponentially improve your chances of success or, or widen your your lens to be able to tap into these people. And the reason why most people, I, don't, I think, have some hesitation to do it. A, they're, they're not probably willing to be introspective about their own flaws. I am a flawed person. 
Um, I have um, I have things that I'm not very good at, and fortunately, I've I've had lessons that have demonstrated that to me, and so I'm okay acknowledging it. Um, you've got to have people around you that are you associate with good character and um, and high performance, people who are good at their job, but also they're just good people at their core. And if you've got that, those two things, the willingness to raise your hand, the willingness to be uh, to put your ego aside, to uh, avoid the fear of you know of of, um, of looking like you don't know what you're doing. Um, though, if you can do that and then you can tap into experts and there's a myriad of different ways you can do this. There's, you know, we talked about YouTube before before we started here. There's, there's how to do anything on YouTube. Then there's experts that you can connect with via LinkedIn or through other platforms where you get a direct line to someone who can help you, who, you know, who, who isn't gonna judge you. Um, but who can absolutely um, uh, be part of the solution for you. And, and, and it's at your peril if you don't take those opportunities because uh, the last thing you want to do is, um, is be out on your own, failing at something. And, um, and when someone asks you why you didn't ask for help, you know, saying, oh, I was too scared or I, I, I wanted to do this myself. Um, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a recipe for disaster. And, and one that um, the, the earlier you learn that, um, the, the better off you be, the better the relationships you have with your peers and your, your co-workers, and ultimately the better the successes. Yeah, th- I think those are important words to live by and uh, an important example and reminder of this, this idea that being able to have um, some process, a simple um, thing that you can look to as your guiding principle or your guiding decision-making factors throughout anything that you face, whether it's a, an adversity that you've been working four years to overcome, or it's a conversation that you maybe don't want to have, but know that you need to, to, to advance things forward, or it's to find that community that you belong in, or a decision to change your leadership, to change the results you're getting from your people. Yeah. Every one of those scenarios, and probably countless others, can be boiled down into to this simple lesson. So I appreciate you taking the time to share a little bit about, well, a lot about what's kind of helped guide you in some of your principles and been able to impact so many people so positively. Oh, th- thank you. I appreciate that. And it's, um, I'm happy to help. And, um, and I think as, if, if, as, as people listen to this and they start to um, give themselves an opportunity to be more introspective, um, you've probably had a number of these lessons. Anyone out there has had a number of these lessons. Um, you just have to go back to these you know, sometimes painful moments in your life and find what the silver lining was. And, and that's a little cliche, but, but in the end, everyone has been taught lessons, whether they know it or not. Uh, it's whether you actually learned from it and, and applied that into, into moving forward to being better than you were yesterday. And, uh, and when we talk about shared values, that was always the thing with Verizon that, that mattered most to me was being better than you were yesterday. And the only way that's gonna happen is if you learn or if you, if you ask for help, or if you practice, or if you work hard, um, all of those basic fundamental things. But, um, but, uh, but it's easy to lose sight of that in the moment. And, and, uh, and I, think that, uh, I think that what you're trying to do here to shed light on this is super helpful for everyone because it's something that everyone at some point is gonna go through. And, um, and, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be part of what you're doing. It's pretty cool. Awesome, thanks. So how can people um, connect with you? You're on LinkedIn, obviously, they can find you on there and, and follow you. You have some articles that you've posted and great content that, that uh, I've seen shared. How else can people? Um, oh, you can uh, look me up on Instagram. It's uh, dweb2.0. Um, uh, and, uh, and on YouTube, I have, a, I have some videos that I post. It's like a fun hobby that I have. 
um, posting a little bit about my background, some of the lessons that I've learned, some some fun videos that are very short, but um, but uh, but I think pretty cool, um, and, it, and hopefully will give you a, a, a different perspective on on some of the experiences that I've had, not just with kayaking and and uh, the the world championships there, but other you know good and bad experiences that um, that I've had just like anyone else. Um, if you can keep learning, you'll uh, you'll keep moving forward. Great, thanks, Darren. No worries. Maybe you've lost time and money or you're losing the wrong people. Or you just have a conflicted culture that's searching for the truth. Or it could be something like productivity loss and people are just stressed. Either way, perhaps we should talk. I'd love to work with you and share with you through my keynotes, highly engaging workshops, coaching and consulting services, how we can bring the power of belonging factor and the tools we've developed to your organization and meet these challenges with real solutions that involve people, refine process, and help you deliver better profits. So visit belongingfactor.com or rudimentsolutions.com today. Thank you for listening to The Belonging Factor, and I look forward to working with you and your teams.